0: Hello and welcome to this bonus episode for Saturday the 21st of January 2023. This is a third look at the tools I'm using in my self-publishing business in 2023. It's part three of a series and as I had to create an extra episode out of nowhere because I had so much content, this now becomes a bonus content episode. So coming up in this extra episode, carried over from last week, I'm gonna be chatting about my favorite learning resources for writers, places where you can go to find out about stuff related to our industry. Plus, I'll have a roundup of the varied and general software services that I use across my business in case any of those are useful and things you haven't heard of. And in this episode, I'm going to be crystal ball gazing as I reveal some of the futurist tests that I'm running in the background in my business. Now, I am just stressing in these episodes that this is all just personal opinion. These are things that I happen to use, ha- things I happen to love. They might prove useful to you, but I'm sure there are many other things out there and you may get on with those better than the things I'm recommending. So, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. If something takes your fancy and you think, oh, I've not heard of that, I'll give that a try, give it a try. But these are things that suit me. They suit the way I work. They may not suit you, but hopefully uh, over the course of these episodes, you'll have heard of a couple of things. You think, well, I'll give that a try and they might just prove useful to you in your business. So in this final episode, looking at all these resources, I'm going to start with the five minute focus, which is something that Craig Martell broadcasts and shares on the 20 books to 50K Facebook group. Now, I'm just assuming in saying that, that you've heard of the 20 books to 50k Facebook group. If you haven't, you need to head there straight away on Facebook and become a member because they share some amazing information on there. But Craig Martell, I I don't know whether he does it every day, but it's very, very regularly. He does a a five minute focus, which is just a a couple of slides, uh, PowerPoint slides, and Craig just talking through an element of, of writing and and actually I tend not to catch those but what I, what Craig has started to do is he shares the the slides now so what I've started to do is to download the collections of slides they, they go on there's loads of them you know it's a real it's almost like a uh, war of peace it's huge uh, sort of volume of slides now but how I prefer to consume that is to actually whiz through the slides and then pick up an idea here, there, you know, much more quickly than, than consuming all the video content. So what I would recommend you do, 20 bucks, 50k, look for the five-minute focus, do a search for it, and, and either consume the videos, if that's how you prefer to consume information, or just download that block of slides. I've got them sitting on my hard drive at the moment. And uh, when, you know, when I sit down for a cup of tea or something and just taking a break, I'll whiz through those. And uh, I find them really uh, useful. If only just to remind you of things that you already knew and to bring them to the front of your mind or to introduce you to stuff that you didn't know or you've never thought about before. But I, I find that really, really good. And I, again, if you don't know this, I think most of us do probably listening to the podcast, 20 Books 50K, a great resource. They've just dropped all the videos from this year's Vegas event. There's just a, a lifetime of learning in those videos alone, um, and they're free on the 20 books to 50k YouTube channel. So again, do check those out, and you'll probably want to you know, mix and match, That's pick and mix, look at the things that interest you, leave the things that don't, but there's a whole wealth of information in there, and you know, it would probably keep you going for a year alone, just following the five-minute focus and just going through those videos. There's a whole uh, university's worth of learning there. The next thing that I'm going to go on to you're probably going to hear me talking about this a lot over the next year. So warning. I'm very enthusiastic about this at the moment. Because I, I feel like I've I've found if not the holy grail the thing that's most likely to lead me to the holy grail and that is Matthew J Holmes's training this is exactly what I've been looking for for so long now again you know we all have different learning styles you may not learn the same way that I do but Matthew's teaching style absolutely suits me and my previous experience with marketing he's talking my language absolutely so Big priorities for me for learning in 2023 is I need to work through Matthew's Amazon Ads Academy and the Facebook Ads Academy. I've just bought uh, both of them. The content that Matthew is providing is just brilliant. I mentioned him in the podcast episode. If you just download the 40 or so episodes he's done for free on Amazon ads, he, he sometimes touches on Facebook in those podcast episodes. But if you just listen to that content, that alone is amazing but the training, for me, it's just structured in such an orderly step-by-step way. I can get my head around it. He's talking a marketing language that I understand. So I really can't recommend that highly enough to you. the Facebook Ads Academy and the Amazon Ads Academy. What I would like to see is Matthew breaking through a, a, a little bit more, you know, as a, as a kind of recognized teacher, because I think he's doing some really sterling stuff there. And I've I really have consumed everything out there on, on Amazon, most of it just switches me off, it's just so uh, dense, it's so, you know, information laden, I, I it just switches me off entirely, whereas Matthew is doing it in bite-sized chunks that I can cope with and that all makes perfect sense to me, so I'm much preferring that. Now, the next thing I shall be working through in 2023, I've actually got too many things at the moment, to be honest with you. I've got too many things that I'm interested in and I need to work through. So I'm hoping to structure some time to make sure I work through all of these methodically. But somebody else I heard on Mark Dawson's podcast was Sophie Hannah. Sophie writes the same kind of books that I'm writing, which is Psychological Thrillers. Sophie runs the course in Cambridge, that I'm looking at as a for an MA later on in the year. So I've applied for it, just waiting to see what happens with that. But she, she runs a course of her own called the Dream Author Course. And I subscribed to that. As soon as I heard her on Mark Dawson's podcast and knowing that she does the Cambridge course, I thought, well, here's a great way to decide whether you should be spending £20,000 on a Cambridge course, consume Sophie's, Sophie's much cheaper course So I signed up to Dream Author. Now, again, I'm I'm enjoying this, but it's very much, there are probably two main insights that that you get from this. The first one is it's a tremendous insight into the traditional publishing industry. So most of the people, I think I think it's probably fair to say about 98% is the field that I get from the questions that people ask. About 98% are traditionally published. And, and, and if I said there was one big takeaway I got from it, it was that the, the level of uh, author agent anxiety that people have about what their agents think of books and, and relationships with agents is a huge amount of, of stress and anxiety around all of that and so for a self-published author that's really quite interesting to get an insight into so you know so that that's it, it's traditional it's very very traditional in focus and the other thing is is that it's very much geared to to mindset about how to deal with setbacks and problems within the author industry so you know I'm very happy to have um, subscribed to it now all I've been consuming so far is the regular Q&A webinars and I've asked a couple of questions in the webinars myself and got some great answers from Sophie so it's very handy to have that you know that Q&A ability to to ask those questions so she always answers the questions and and, and that's all very interesting so I I asked her um, some very specific questions about you know her path to publication about the steps she'd taken to improve her craft and then the challenges that she faces now as an author so I, I always like to delve into those kinds of questions now what I haven't done yet is Sophie has podcast episodes and learn uh, learning episodes based around that so there's a lot of there's a lot of content on the website which I haven't even started to consume yet so that's what I want to move on to in the new year and I need to pace it because I kind of want to I want to pace that. Now I may not even get a place on this Cambridge course, but if I do get a place on the Cambridge course, I want to kind of work through Sophie's content before we start the Cambridge course to ascertain whether if I do get offered a place, I should consider, you know, taking it. So it's it's a kind of try before you buy as as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, I want I want to make some time to go through that. Now the the URL is dreamauthorcoaching.com. I'm not really recommending it for everybody. You know, I'm a psychological thriller writer which is what Sophie is if that's your thing you might be interested but also if you're interested very much around the the mindset around writing and you want insights into traditional publishing then that also may be interesting interesting to you but I've very much done that I'm sharing it with you now but I've very much done that at a personal level I was very interested in that. Somebody else I get a lot of information from really great information is a guy called Nicholas Eric at nicholaseric.com I joined his six-figure masterclass at the beginning of the year he does this every year Nicholas sends some brilliant emails um, there's not many emails I make time to read all the way through Matthew Holmes's I, I save because they're brilliant Dave Gochran's I save Nicholas Erick's, I say. But Nicholas will, uh, what I particularly like about Nicholas's emails is he'll often send you emails with two marketing tips for Facebook or for Amazon ads or for BookBub. And he'll just give you a couple of handy tips. And I find those those are really excellent. So so Nicholas is a person I'm keeping on my radar. Now, again, you don't really hear Nicholas on, on the kind of podcast that I'm listening to. I don't really hear his name mentioned very much. But I can't even remember why I fa- found out about him. But he's very much someone that I, I go to learn from. I've bought some of his teaching materials because you know he's, he, he's very much into Amazon ads, selling books, you know, reads through all these things that are important to us as authors. And uh, he talks a lot of sense, he talks a lot of marketing sense, and uh, you know I understand what on earth he's talking about, which is great. So Nicholas Eric, uh, and I'll put these links by the way of the show notes for this week's episode so that you don't have to guess at spellings and things like that. I already referred to Dave Gochran, but I would say to you that if you're not on Dave's mailing list you want to be Uh, i've bought dave's books in the past again when you get an email from dave it's always full of information always packed with information that you can use and he does little mini courses sometimes about facebook ads and i'm always learning stuff from dave so he's very much somebody that you want on your radar for ongoing learning And, and dave's you know particularly good at the the marketing Got to mention Dave Chesson too. So Dave Chesson does e- regular emails and blog posts. Same with Dave Gochran, by the way. You know the blog posts and the email combo. Those are very good. So make sure you're signed up for Dave Chesson's marketing emails. And I say marketing emails. I mean clearly da- uh, both Daves, David Gocra and Dave Chesson, they've always got things to to sell or affiliate links. But I, I, I think the the clincher here is you don't have to buy those things if you don't want to, if they're of no interest to you. But The email content always is it's always worth them sending the email out because the the emails are always packed with content, so I don't mind them having a sale. And in one of the previous podcast episodes I mentioned depositphoto.com to you. I actually took that upper offer up as a result of a Dave Gockran email. So, you know, they are sharing stuff that has value in our businesses as well. So again, two two Dave's to sign up for and make sure you're receiving their emails. I think you'll get a lot of learning value from those. And then also I'm becoming less interested in SPF, self-publishing formula courses. I I, I bought their Facebook course a couple of years ago, and it was quite expensive, you know, it was four or 500 pounds. But one of the things I said to myself was, well, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to learn how to do this. And then because I was doing corporate training at the time, I thought, well, I'll I'll wheel this out and I'll corporate train it to to make that money back. And uh, that Facebook training was one of the most popular courses that I did with the corporate training. Whenever we used to advertise one, it was always packed with people. It was a really good earner for me. So I have learned a lot from SPF courses in the past. And I've also told you recently that I did, oh, what was it? The, was it? I'm trying to remember what the course was called. I bought one when I was at SPF Live in London, and I've just got all the course details here. Which one was it? Ooh, come on, Paul. You can never find, How to Write a Bestseller with Susie Quinn. I bought that and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoy the videos that they provide in their portal. So you get the videos from the, from the London shows. They're always really, really good. and. You, I, you know, I've got access to all sorts of things—Scrivener, uh, BookBub ads—but I've I've tended to veer away a little bit from that training because, as you've already heard, you know, I I actually I'm preferring f- for Facebook and for Amazon now Matthew J Holmes's uh, content. That's where I'm going for that content. So, you know, I I would actually I would actually go to Matthew now for that training rather than to Mark Dawson's area. But there is still a lot of good value in the stuff that Mark has with the training so he definitely needs to be on your radar even though I'm probably picking and choosing a lot more of what I'm doing now through through what Mark does but you know every now and then he'll do something and I say right I'm having that and that's brilliant so you know he definitely definitely needs to be on your radar for this I would suggest And then finally, just again, another learning resource that I want to share with you. I just want to mention curtisbrowncreative.co.uk. I I registered for one of their thriller courses this year. It it wasn't very expensive. It was 200, 300 pounds, something like that. It was something like a six week course, but it was with a, a, a well known UK psychological thriller author. I signed up for it, uh, I got lots of resources from it, I really enjoyed it, um, I, I, knew, I knew a lot of it, but like everything, it just refreshes all those things that you need to know. Uh, so curtisbrowncreative.co.uk, they're well worth a look, they have you know lots of courses on there, and uh, again, it's just if it suits you, if there's something that takes your fancy, then by all means dive in, and if not, then don't worry about it couple of extras I just want to mention, I hadn't put this on my list, but I do want to talk to you about both of them just for learning resources. This is a new one that I got from listening to um, Sophie Hannah the other day. This was one of the things she mentioned to, I said to her, you know, how did you improve your writing until you got published? And she mentioned ARVON courses, A-R-V-O-N, ARVON courses. Now, I think I've heard of them before, but I I, I know that when I look at the website, I've never looked at the website, but they do all sorts of courses in person and online. And uh, they've just got all sorts of um, interesting stuff. So I thought, right, you're, you're going on my radar and I've connected to them on social media, so I don't miss anything. So do check out ARVON courses. And I'm sure I've told you this already. I can't remember. Maybe told you this is the long update I did. I also joined the NonfictionAuthorsAssociation.com. And I think I think I did that as a result of listening to another Mark Dawson podcast. So you know, I'm telling you that I'm picking and choosing the training that I take from what Mark Dawson's team are doing. But I have also told you that Dan Parsons is doing brilliant blog posts. I'm telling you that some of the podcast episodes are excellent and this is an example you only need to listen to one podcast episode in 10 that's useful to you 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 don't have to listen to everything but so long as you're getting value out of it then keep subscribing keep listening and and that's you know, I discovered Sophie Hannah through Mark Dawson's podcast, and I discovered the Nonfiction Authors Association. I think it was either through Mark or through Joanna Penn, but I joined that because I have nonfiction books. I decided to join that for a year and just, you know, again, immerse myself in all the learning materials that they've got. I just, you know, think about my nonfiction is a way I, I could do nonfiction better, is a way I can sell it better. So I did sign up to join that and I just if you are a non-fiction writer you might want to take a look at that it's it's got immense value and it's packed with stuff you know loads of podcasts uh, how to sell y- your non-fiction books just lo- loads of information on there it's the non it's nonfiction authors I'll put the link on the resources page so again so you don't have to hunt uh, for that but I'm finding that really informative and useful. Moving on, then let's take a look at some of the miscellaneous services that I use in my business. And, and uh, things have changed. I'm changing stuff all the time. Uh, sometimes you hit a roadblock with a particular service or software. You think, okay, it's time to change. Sometimes you see something that's just better, and, and often it's a case of just timing. You know, some things are, are more suitable at different times in your career. So uh, the, the one I do want to tell you about is UK Postbox. I've mentioned this before. I, when, when you have a limited company, you have to have a physical address in the UK. You have to have a physical address, basically so that the Inland Revenue can send all your kind of tax documents there. Now, when you are a sole trader, you can use in the, in the UK. This is very UK based, I'm afraid, this particular item. You can use a PO box number for your address. That's fine. They're quite expensive nowadays. They, they used to be like £100 a year when I started in business, but they're quite expensive, I notice now. So you can have a PO box number or a virtual address address. I used virtual addresses for years, but what I've uh, come to settle on now, and I'm getting really well with this service, it's UKPostbox.com, and it's described as the UK's online post office. And so uh, I used it when I was a sole trader, and I've just upgraded my account. Now I'm a limited company. But what it gives me is a physical address that I could use with the Inland Revenue, that they can send documents to. And when I get a document, they email me to say, you've got a document. And they they basically scan the envelope and say, do you want us to open it? Now, you can tell if it's an important document. You can tell if it's an in-and-revenue document straight away from a scan. And then you then say to them, yes, open the document, please, and scan the contents. Or you just tell them to send it to you. Then you pay for the postage and they send it over to you. So what it means is that I can have a, a business address, obviously, that isn't my home address because I don't want to be publishing that anywhere for, for privacy and confidentiality reasons. And it's, and it's HMRC friendly. So now, again, in the UK, a lot of the time, if you are a limited company, you will just use the address of your accountant if you use an accountant for that. But I don't use an accountant. Now, in the last year or so, I have changed my account service from crunch.co.uk to free agent. Now with crunch.co.uk, I was able to use their address as my business address so that HMRC, the Inland Revenue, could send my tax documents there. When I, I got on very well with crunch. It was quite, I would say it was quite expensive. It was about one and a half thousand pounds a year and uh, you know, essentially you got use of the software, but you got advice from accountants too. You could always get accountancy advice from there. That's why you're paying slightly more for that. But my, my bugbear with crunch, was that and it'll be a little bit technical here they used an API connection to the bank account it was it was like an API secure connection to your bank account and crunch would only bring my transactions over once a week now I tried another service called free agent which is what I'm using at the moment and free agent almost brings my bank transactions over in real time so with crunch what I was fine I was finding it frustrating that I had to wait basically to, to every Sunday, to be able to reconcile my accounts. And it was very simple to use, but it, it, having to wait once a week was a bit of a nuisance. Whereas in free agent, I'm pretty well, not quite, but pretty well getting my transactions in real time. So rather than me having to sit down and do a great load of uh, reconciliations on my on my banking, I just kind of do them as I go along with free agent. And I actually find that suits me much better. Now, free agent is considerably cheaper than crunch but I don't get access to accountants but with free agent I can buy in access to accountants if I want one so as I get towards the end of my company tax year I may well decide to buy an accountant but it will still work out considerably cheaper than crunch but um, I was very happy with crunch the only thing I wasn't happy with was, was that slow pulling in of my transactions. It felt a bit old and clunky to me. I did say that in the feedback. I said, look, if you get this sorted out, then I'd come back to crunch. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to give free agent to try for a year. Now, when it comes to submitting my annual accounts this year, without the assistance of an accountant, I may regret that. <laughs> I may think, oh my goodness, I need an accountant quick. But to be honest with you, you know, free agent uh, accounts these days, as, as we move again, this is UK bi- biased, uh, what well, is UK based. As we move towards making tax digital, the Inland Revenue wants us to have our accounts in a in a web based system. You, Free agents and and crunch, they'll all be uh, making tax digital compliant, so they'll feed the information that the Inland Revenue needs to the Inland Revenue. And to be honest with you, you know, if so long as you, so long as you, everything I do goes through my Starling bank account and my accounting software is linked directly to the Starling bank account. So all I have to do when those transactions come through is say, you know, this was staff training, this was mileage, this was software. I just have to reconcile those accounts and and put them in the right headings and then deal with any little anomalies that come in, if there are any. But free agent literally gives me it tells me a running total of what my corporation tax is for the year. So I I know I can be budgeting all the time. I'm budgeting my corporation tax so I don't get caught by surprise at the end of the tax year. So it suits me really well at the moment. And I hope, hope I should just be able to submit my corporation uh, tax accounts directly through FreeAgent. It's certainly set up that way, but I'll let you know... (laughs) Let you, if you hear me crying in june you'll know it didn't quite work out that way but as i say i have got the backup that i could just i could buy in an accountant if i want to through free agent they've got recommended partner accountants and that's what i'll do if i have to when we come to year end so that's accounts free agent is what i'm using at the moment and i'll put a link on the resources page I want to mention Camtasia for audio and video. There's there's very few services and softwares I've used for years and years and years, ever since I started internet marketing, you know, way back in 2009. WordPress is one example of that. Optimized Press that I use as a theme on WordPress is another example. And Camtasia is another example. I've just been using Camtasia for years, and I've never found anything better than it. Now, Again, this is a very personal reason for it, but Camtasia is the closest thing to what I was using on radio. When I left my when I left the BBC in 2010, it's, it, it it replicated pretty well what I was doing on the radio. A lot of people when they do podcasts um, tend to think that you need really advanced softwares. You know, with all sorts of bells and whistles and overwhelming interfaces because they think that's what broadcasters do. Well, I can tell you when you work on the radio, you're banging audio out really fast. You haven't got the time to be... If you work for Radio 4 and you're doing uh, documentary work and things like that, you know, of course you've got time to use those. But if you're on the radio doing live radio and you're banging out reports left, right and centre, uh, let me tell you, you do not have the time to use you know loads of bells and whistles. You get that stuff out at a rate of knots. So Camtasia, replicates what I was using and as, with these podcasts. You know, I record them, I get them out at a rate of knots, just like we used to do on the radio. So I, I, I get on very well with Camtasia, but Camtasia also allows me to record uh, video presentations. I've used it a lot while I've been working at the university because I've been doing presentations and and, uh, webinars for students and I've been processing those in Camtasia. And there's just, you know, there's nothing I found that gets anywhere near it. I just, I love Camtasia. Uh, So every time they... Uh, do an upgrade where they release a new version, I just pay for it and get on with it because it's something that I use extremely uh, regularly. Now, I have talked to people through this program who've asked me about Camtasia and I know that some of them have also got on extremely well with it. So I would say to you, if you need to record and edit audio and or video, if you need to record training programs where you're recording a voiceover and showing PowerPoint slides, then Camtasia is something you should definitely take a free trial of. Again, it's quite a—it's one of those softwares that's very uh, peculiar to me because uh, you know because of what what my background is and what I'm doing. But I'll mention it just in case it's useful to you as well. And the same company, TechSmith produce another thing that I buy, which is called Snagit. And Snagit we use for screenshots. Now, a lot of the time, I find it very useful to do screenshots. So for instance, again, very recently, I I did a handover when I left the university. I did how-to presentations to the students. And, And what Snagit allows me to do is to take screenshots and then annotate those or put wording on them, highlight particular areas. So it's a very advanced, not, it's not even an advanced screenshot tool, it's just a very uh, flexible screenshot tool. Now, you know, I also have an Awesome Screenshot, which is a free Chrome add in that you can use, which I use almost every day. So, if I want to show my wife something that I've seen online and I can't, you know, share it directly, I take a screenshot of it. I use Snagit um, for. Everyday stuff, just stuff that doesn't really matter. But I use, so that's an awesome screenshot, I beg your pardon. That's what I use for just everyday stuff. It's just a, a, a Chrome add on that you use. But I use Snagit and I pay for Snagit. It's not very expensive, but I pay for Snagit because it gives me, you know, higher quality screenshots for slides. And, you know, if I'm doing, for instance, if I'm showing a screenshot of one of my books, you know, at the top of a chart or something like that. I'll use Snagit and I'll draw red boxes and maybe arrows to show my my book on there. So so Snagit again, you you won't have heard of it, you won't hear it on other podcasts, but it's something I get on extremely well with, and it's it's produced by uh, TechSmith. Now TechSmith also, interestingly, have released a new software. I'm looking up the name of it right now because I can't uh, remember what it's called. I will mention to you Jing. Jig is their free screenshot tool. Jig was used a lot by internet marketers back in the day and they still create it and it's fine. Jig is a free quality screenshot tool, but it will also allow you to do short explainer videos too. So if you're involved in any kind of situation where people are saying, can you just show me how to do that online? And you just want to record your screen and show yourself clicking it, then Jing is a free version um, which will allow you to do it. So it's kind of like a hybrid of Camtasia and Snagit, and it's free, You know, completely free, but it does have time limitations on the length of videos that you can record, but it's brilliant. Now, let me just remind myself of the other thing I was gonna tell you about TechSmith. Very, very good softwares. They do really great softwares. I'm not sure whether I need this, but it's on my radar. They have a new software out, which is called Audiate, which is a voice recorder and audio editor. So it's um, it's it's very similar to something that I'm going to mention to you in the in the the techie AI system. But basically, uh, it, it lets you recorded import narrations and then you can quickly remove mistakes because it will turn it into text so it's a really fast kind of editing tool now it's on my radar it costs 306 pounds a year which is expensive you know i prefer it not to cost that much that's quite an expensive software whereas with camtasia i tend to i pay about 260 for a, a download and then i'll get free upgrades for a year or so and then i'm only paying about 50 quid a time if they update it so I don't like getting committed to things that are expensive that i have to pay every year so 306 is a lot i don't think i'd get the value from it but i'll mention it to you anyway if you're doing a lot of audio work but it is on my radar i am kind of looking at it watching it and seeing if they come up with a a much better kind of price arrangement with that so the company is called techsmith and i will put the links on the show notes of course I'm using a service called Descript, which is an AI-based product. It's something that uh, Joanna Penn has mentioned. I'm using that at the moment for audio edits, but I'll talk about that in the future looking section, which is coming up after this one. I want to talk about time management. Those of you who've listened to this podcast since it started in whatever it was, 2015 or thereabouts, will know that I used to have A4 planning sheets that I just used to set up in Word, and that's how I used to plan my weeks. I used to kind of do it with nice different colored highlighters and I did that for years I was quite happy with it but as I was talking about going to Spain I wanted something that I could take with me I wanted something that was portable so I started I'd used Trello for years to record ideas in but I started looking at Trello as a time management tool Trello I find extremely slow and and clunky I don't know whether it still is I haven't used it directly for years but what I use now is Trello with an add-on called Planyway Plentyway, Plentyway, so I'll I'll put the links on because all of these have weird spellings, but it's spelt P-L-A-N-Y-W-A-Y, and Plentyway links to Trello and makes Trello to be much more manageable as a tool, and uh, it's allowed me to completely replace those A4 sheets that I used to use because uh, it it gives me exactly what I used to do on the A4 sheets, which is uh, a look at my weekly schedule at a glance and it also allows me to color code the tasks that i'm doing it allows me to tick things off which as you know that you know that's a big motivator for me when i have a list of things that i got to do in any day and i tick them off that's huge for me very very important so plenty way with trello literally gives me exactly why i had an a4 sheet but online and I can access it on my phone and my computer wherever I am in the world. But it, it's obviously cleverer than a bit of A4 paper because if I want to schedule birthdays or if I want to schedule repeat events, then I can duplicate and you know I can do things to repeat every year, every month, every week if I want to. So it's much cleverer than doing it on a piece of paper as it would be. But this absolutely suits me down to the ground. Now, it uses Trello as its background engine but plentyway is what gives me the calendar interface and i absolutely love it as a scheduling tool so at the moment i've got it open on my screen i can see my whole week all planned out all in different colors i use different color schemes for different things that i'm doing i have a you know green for exercise i've got an orange color for my uh, books that i'm writing at the moment i use red for a daily task i've got a light blue for dated events i use a different kind of blue for holiday and fun activities you know, so so at a glance i can see what's going on at a screen and i really love that i'm going on extremely well with it and there was uh, I, I, I printed off one of those old sheets to have a look at it and considered for about half a minute should i go back to this and decided absolutely not what i'm using now is far superior and suits my needs much better and also plays into this underlining principle in everything I do in my business at the moment that I must be able to take it with me and preferably I can access it on my phone. That's um, Everything I do now is, is geared to that. It needs to have an app, needs to be able to be accessed on my phone because that's the kind of business I want to build going forward. So again, you know, take it or leave it. The other thing, I do use Trello and have done for years. I use Trello directly just to record any bizarre, crazy story idea I have. However, however weird, I just stick them all in there. Everything goes in there just to make sure that I record it. But I don't really like it for day-to-day management Trello. I, I have found it very, very slow in the past. Let's talk a little bit then about online security. And you know, this is really important stuff if you work online and your business is online. So in terms of online security, all of these things can change uh, at any time. When I started online, I used to use AVG for my security, then AVG became really bloated and started slowing down my computer. So I switched. So I'll tell you what I'm using at the moment, but it might change because as as you hopefully you've already picked up from, from these podcast episodes about the tools that I use, sometimes people mess up their own software and something that you once loved, you decide you don't love anymore and you want to move on. So I'll tell you what I'm using at the moment. For computer security at the moment, I'm using a VAST. A V A S T. I use a VAST premium for my PC security. And it gives me all sorts of things in, in there. It, it has a webcam blocker, you know, so you have to give permission for something to access your webcam. It gives me sort of file locks um, so that if there are specific files that you want to kind of encrypt and lock up, you can do that. Obviously it scans my computer regularly. You know, it flags up any kind of security er- errors but, uh, or issues. But what I like about it is it just sits, sits in the background. It just tells me what I need to know and doesn't kind of keep giving me false flags so one of the things i see when i when i work with other people when i've done it in corporate life and they have things like norton and McAfee. Those things, blimey, they're enough to make you paranoid. They're, 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 every, everything is suspicious to those pieces of software. And uh, no wonder people are paranoid and, and, and don't understand this stuff. Well, with Avast, it just works in the background, protecting me. And it just lets me know about the stuff I really need to know. It's like, you know, if I click on a web link in an email, I think I could work out for myself that that might potentially be dangerous. I don't need a flag for that. But, you know, I have, I actually have, as a result of using Avast Premium, I actually have it in my emails and it actually confirms that each email is fine. It it scans all my emails and lets me know that it's okay to open and would flag up any problems with it. So there's all sorts of benefits to using Avast. I've literally just renewed it yesterday at the time of recording this. And I think it was 78 pound 99 for a year. And for that, it allows me to protect 10 computers so I can let the family have it too I I find that excellent value so I just keep renewing that year after year and will continue to do so until it causes me um, any problems but I've used it for several years now Avast The, the other thing I like about Avast is I have it on my mobile phone and uh, it has, I can geo track my mobile phone if it gets stolen. I can sound an alarm on my mobile phone that will say uh, something like, "This phone has been stolen." You know, you can, uh, I can wipe my mobile phone remotely and back it up remotely. And so Avast gives me all of those, all of those security elements. So you know, as a suite, it really is the thing that suits me best at the moment and then finally if you're you know paying attention to this stuff and i really would urge you to pay attention to this stuff you need to now have two factor authentication it's called 2fa now i generally prefer if I could avoid it, not to have text or auth- text authentication, you know. Sometimes you can't avoid it. I've I've never really heard about this in the in the UK, but I have heard um, in the US particularly of people sort of hijacking people's SIM, SIM cards. That they they seem to not don't ask as many questions in in the US from what I've heard on podcasts for security reasons. You know, people have said, "Oh, I've lost me access to my phone. Can you give me access to the SIM card?" And and, and companies in the states have said. Yes, and so therefore people's phones have been hijacked. Well, I've never heard of that in the UK, so I don't know what's different between the US and the UK, but that's, that's why I generally prefer not to use texts, if I could avoid it for two-factor authentication, I tend to prefer to use an app. Now, when I started using apps for this, the best known one is Google Authenticator. And Google, well, what it does, Google Authenticator effectively creates random codes that you have to type in to access certain sites. And those codes uh, come up on your mobile phone. Now, this may have changed with Google Authenticator, but one of the limitations with Google Authenticator used to be that it sat on your phone, and if you lost your phone, then you lost access to your Google Authenticator. That it, you couldn't have it on multiple devices at once. So, I prefer to use for my two factor authentication Authy A U T H Y Authy because Authy you can have set up on multiple devices. So, I have Authy on my mobile phone, and I have Authy on my computer. So if I left, if I lost my mobile phone, I would still be able to access all those secure codes on my computer. Now, I'm sure I read somewhere that Google Authenticator was going to do that, but when I switched to Authy, Google Authenticator didn't do that. So if you lost your phone, you lost your codes which is why I prefer Authy now that may be updated I don't know but I'm stuck you know I'm stuck I'm quite happy with Authy now and that's what I'm using so for two-factor authentication that's my you know that's the one I'm using if this is all like what's he talking about you know all this security stuff I have to say to you if if you don't understand what I'm talking about if you don't understand what two-factor authentication is if you don't know why you need to have a password manager it's probably time to start reading up a little bit about it because this is really important stuff you know you've you've got a lot of if you're writing books you've got a lot of important stuff on your hard drive you don't want to be losing that but also you know your banking anything else that you might do online your accounts you know this should all be protected by two-factor authentication it's becoming more standard now I have two-factor authentication on my accounts you know I've got it I have two-factor I put it on everything that I can now and it's always a bit of a nuisance having to put a code in but I always think to myself if somebody had pinched my laptop or t- somebody pinched my phone and was trying to log into this information they would not be able to do so at this stage they would be frustrated so you know a couple of minutes friction for me to get in and go through those password security checks you know is is actually what would block somebody if they'd stolen any of my kit so I do understand that those last few items are probably a little bit techy a little bit geeky but I would you know, just try and keep that sort of stuff on your radar, because I think it really is important in these days. where we carry so much of our lives on our devices, I think it's really important to just keep one eye on your internet security. In the final section of this podcast, then, I'm going to be looking ahead to the future. So I'm beginning to use some softwares and tools now in my business and i think i'm going to be incorporating them into what i do so some of most of them to be honest with you i'm i'm trialing i'm trying but i like them enough to be continuing with them so i'll share them with you because this is very future looking now a lot of these i've got from Joanna Penn so i have to give credit where credit's due i'm listening to Joanna Penn's ai episodes with great interest and and some doesn't interest me but a lot of it does but there are things that I'm doing that I want to bolt into my business now. So the first one is that I want to use the Google Books AI tool to narrate one of my non-fiction books. Now, I had a little play with that. I haven't, again, it's one of these many things that I need to get on with, but I really want to, this year, make sure that I get the Google AI tool to narrate one of my non-fiction books and then to try and sell that. Now, I've, I've said for years, there's no way, absolutely no way Am I going to narrate one of my books? Because so much work, I just don't want to do it. I love recording stuff like this, but to read stuff is just like hell on earth for me. I just don't want to do it. So I'm not going to narrate my own book. So never say never, of course. You know, if I had some best selling novel, I might change my tune. But at the moment, it's just not worth the time, the effort. You know, it's just not, I don't want to do it. So I want to get AI to do it. And for non fiction, these AIs on Google just. Absolutely amazing, absolutely brilliant for non-fiction. Wouldn't touch it for fiction, but absolutely great for non-fiction. So I really, I just want to go through, as I always do with these things, I want to try the process of getting an AI to narrate a non-fiction book. So it's either going to be my best-selling books, non-fiction on my podcast, how to start a podcast book, and my how to create and sell digital products. Those both sort of sell themselves, really, those books. I don't do any marketing on them. So one of those books or both of them would be sensible ones to create as audio books. So that's the first thing, first sort of recommendation that you check that out if you're listed wide. Now, the other tool that I'm using a lot, and again, I've kind of come and gone to this and, and actually it works really well for me now, is Descript, D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T, Descript. And this is an audio tool and again, I'm sure I heard this on Joanna Penn's podcast first, but the holy grail, if you're editing audio, often when I'd go out for the BBC, you re- you'd record something, and you'd say, you'd mess up a question, or you'd ask a stupid question, or they'd say something in, in the answer that you thought, well, I better get rid of that, you know, maybe it was offensive, tasteless, libelous, whatever it was, and in the old days, I mean, I, I started working on Quarter-inch tape. You just have to scroll through it and wind backwards and forwards until you found the bit that you wanted to remove. Now, these days, and I've already used it for this podcast—not this particular podcast, but the self-publishing journeys podcast. If I say something, I think, "Oh, blimey, I need to remove that. I shouldn't have said that. Whatever." I, or I think, you know, I think better of it. (laughs) Maybe I've said something about a piece of software or or a service, and thought actually, I think better of that. I better remove that. Then. Normally I'd have to go and hunt through for it. But now I can take the audio from the podcast, I can drop it into descript, and descript will generate for me a transcript. And I could I can go into Descript and go control F, you know, find, find the words, whatever it was, you know, say maybe I was talking about ice cream or something like that. Go control F ice cream and it will search the transcript, but find the point of the audio where that word is. Now a lot of a lot of people use these to just remove ums and r's and things like that. As you know, I'm not a big fan of removing every um, ah and pause in audio because it sounds like an AI if you do that. And also it's quite hard to listen to. I know the principle of removing all the ums and rs, but but actually if you remove every single error, pause in speech, it's just like a machine gun of words and you it's very hard to keep up with it because it comes so fast. So I do like pauses and pace changes in audio. As I say, it sounds like an AI. If you don't get that, it sounds almost too even. But if, if you have made a lot of errors, obviously you, you can remove those. If you have a word that you keep repeating, an annoying word that you keep repeating, and you'll know that better than I do probably. I, only know, I This is why I listen back to stuff randomly to see if I'm saying something that's really annoying and keep repeating it but you can remove those very quickly in descript not by going through the audio but by doing a control F on the on the words and then just removing the word and it deletes the audio it's amazing it's really it's a really good tool for audio editors so if you are doing any kind of audio editing that's well worth a look i'm also considering i've never sort of felt the need to put transcripts on my podcasts the The most convincing reason for me to do that, the most compelling reason, is for accessibility, which I'm you know big big believer in. Now, there's no way f- for the size of podcast I do that I would get pay for transcripts. It's just you know it's just not economically viable. But I am considering Descript because it's getting much more accurate now for for, for transcripts. I wouldn't edit those transcripts; they just come straight out of Descript, and that's what we'd get. So that's I you know trans. I've got. Descript downloaded on my PC. It's something that I'm using now as a tool and I like it. So I'm recommending it to you. I've paid for another service for a year because again, I, I want to trial it for a year and I'm deciding whether to make the swap. So one of the things I'm considering doing, this has to do with blockchain, all these sorts of things that I'm very interested in. And You know, Joanna Penn talks about this a lot too, but you know, privacy. Is one of the big issues that we've got nowadays with you know email and everything we do, privacy. And I am sure you will have noticed at some time you might have written an email about something, and then the next thing you know, you are getting adverts about it in your you know on websites and things like this. Now, a lot of the time, I, I don't massively mind this, you know. So my, my view is is that is that websites have to make money they can't just do everything for free so they're going to use advertising for that and if I'm going to see adverts generally I'd rather see adverts for things I'm interested in rather than things that I'm not interested in so I don't mind targeted adverts so when you know how those things work it doesn't massively that doesn't that particular thing doesn't massively trouble me but one of the things I am trying this year is something called proton mail proton mail I'll put the links in the show notes because protonmail has end-to-end encrypted email which basically means that you know it's it can't be read in transit the people at protonmail can't scan my emails in the way you say that maybe i don't know enough about this but uh, you, you know this is how this is how for instance google would get an idea of the topics it doesn't really want to know the private stuff in an email but it might be able to scan for topics in an email to then send you advertising so protonmail is is encrypted email and it comes the package that I've paid for you can get it for free by the way so and I've paid for it for a year because I get a free VPN and cloud storage uh, 200 gigs of cloud storage in there so I've told you already that I've dropped Dropbox and what I'm considering doing is moving out of the Google ecosystem that's that's really what this is about so I'm considering moving out of Gmail into ProtonMail I always need a VPN anyway, so that's just something that's quite handy. I use a VPN anyway. And cloud storage, obviously I'm paying for through Google. So I'm looking at whether I could move over from Gmail and Google Drive and put everything into ProtonMail. So I've I've updated for for a year, paid whatever it was, 200 pounds for a year, and this is a trial. Now, the other thing I like about ProtonMail you may not be aware of this but it was actually my kids taught me how to do this but if you want to sign up for a free gift or you want to sign up you know just just send me the code or whatever i don't want to be on your mailing list then you could use disposable emails these days and they're quite handy things if you just want to have a one-time interaction you don't want to be getting a barrage of emails you know i just need this to get into the website and then i'm done and what proton mail does is it gives you disposable emails so you could you know give somebody an email address and if they become a bit of a nuisance you just <laughs> evaporate the email address and they can't get in touch with you anymore you know I quite like this quite a handy little thing to have so I'm looking at Mail. you know mainly because I think that you know privacy is going to become a much bigger thing and you'll hear about Web3 the principle of Web three is at the moment, you know, Facebook and Google they own our data. The, the The overriding principle of Web three is that we own and control our data. That's the overriding principle of it. Don't sort of get distracted by all the the other stuff around it. And this is why I'm looking at Proton Mail. I may or may not switch. I'm going to trial it for a year. Obviously, it's very disruptive to switch to a different email service. And I may then, at the end of the year, just put certain things through Proton Mail. That I want to be kind of private encrypted end-to-end and confidential and go for the free account and, and ditch the, the VPN and the storage so it's very much on trial I'm just mentioning these things to you because you might wish to check them out yourself the other thing I'm doing which is a, a, a web a web three thing is I'm using something called the brave browser it's the brave browser and it basically sort of blocks all evil stuff in the background when you're on websites. Now, this isn't just an ad blocker. It's more complex than that. But the Brave browser, I'm getting on extremely well with it. I'm actually reading my notes from the Brave browser at the moment. Now, the big deal for me in changing browser always was that, hang on, I got all this stuff, you know, shortcuts, and I use all these Chrome add-ons and things like that. And if I change browser, I'm not going to be able to use those. So I wouldn't consider using, is it Microsoft? Is it Edge now? I wouldn't even considered changing to that now. I've always liked Firefox in the past, but don't don't use Firefox anymore. The Opera browser I've used in the past, um, in, in the days before you had smartphones and proper mobile devices, I used to use the Opera browser on, on a mobile Nokia phone, would you believe? It gave you web access on a Nokia phone. So I've always liked Opera, but never used it as my main browser. And then I switched to Google and, you know, the Google browser, a long, 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 time ago i have been very happy with it since because I've got my life set up on there if I switch browser it's going to need to do exactly what the chrome browser does well brave does brave is a complete I can take all my chrome add-ons I can take all my shortcuts it, it behaves exactly like chrome does but the privacy is bolted into it um you know, so it's a much more, which, you know, the whole, the whole privacy thing is, is much better. Also, it works in a slightly different way. This is an important thing for me, but it will block ads and trackers and things like that automatically. You can switch them on if, if you want to or need to, but also you can elect through the Brave browser to earn Credits, a uh, uh, sort of a, a crypto token. I don't want to make this too complicated, but you can, if you want to, uh, earn a crypto token in exchange for being exposed to different advertisers. And it has a tipping system built within it as well. Now, I don't want to distract with that. You know, that's kind of crypto stuff, and that's not w- what we do on this podcast. But I'm getting on really well with the Brave browser. My wife uses Brave and loves it. She, she prefers it as well. She prefers it, you know, it sort of it has less clutter on it for her tastes. So I'm just really letting you know that this is something that I'm using now. I, I pretty well, to be honest with you, I have pretty well made the switch from Chrome to the Brave browser. And, it, and, and I forget that I'm in Brave because it just looks exactly like Chrome for me doesn't stop me doing anything doesn't prevent me from doing anything that I want to do so I pretty well lock stock and barrel made the switch to the brave browser now and then so again I'll put the links on the show notes and you can have a look at that if you want to you'll have heard a lot about this on Joanna Penn's show but also elsewhere on the internet the um, chat open AI system which is just remarkable i heard joanna penn talking about this i've got to give this a try i signed up for it and it's absolutely incredible now i've got it on my screen right now Uh, let me just give you an example of of how it works so it's just it's absolutely amazing and i'm going to use this as a tool you know for inspiration for this podcast for special episodes and and, you know just generally i'm going to use it for inspiration i'm going to type into the chat box here five ideas five ideas for a podcast about self-publishing. That's what I'm typing in and I'm going to let the AI do its thing. And hopefully I've chosen a good example here and it will come up with some great ideas. Now it's thinking about this now. And this, this AI is gonna come up with some ideas. Here we go. It's coming now. So idea number one the self-publishing journey. (laughs) This podcast could feature interviews with successful self-published authors discussing their experiences and offering advice for those considering self-publishing. The podcast could cover topics such as writing and editing, cover design, marketing, and more. My goodness, it's my podcast. Then number two, self-publishing tips tips and tricks. The podcast could be a a more practical resource for self-publishers, offering tips and strategies for navigating the self-publishing process. The podcast could cover topics such as formatting and uploading a book to a self-publishing platform, building an author website and using social media to promote a book. Now I'm reading the exact words that it's come up to. I haven't rehearsed this. It's given me three other ideas, the self-publishing industry, self-publishing and creativity and self publishing QA. So it's come up for those podcast um, ideas about uh, you know, if you wanted to set up a podcast on self-publishing. This is absolutely amazing. I've been putting all sorts of things into it. I, I, I've started at the time of recording this episode, will be slightly out of sync with real life, but I asked it, I I thought, let's see if it will come up with some thriller ideas based in Hull, which is where my my book is based, my series is based at the moment, I asked it to come up with five ideas of thriller episodes that would take place around actual places in and around Hull, and it, and it, it came up with that, it did exactly that, it's absolutely incredible, this is, I mean, this is literally, you know, it's early days, but it's pretty impressive. This is the sort of thing that could <laughs> replace our brains eventually and stop us even having to think. Now, you know, I know there are all sorts of ethical dimensions to this, and at the moment I'm just playing around with it. But this really is, I mean, you'll have heard me rant in the past about if we can't even get uh, predictive text on our phones right, you know, how are we ever going to get AI right and put it in charge of the nuclear weapons? this really is a step change in ai and what it's capable of i wish to god they'd put it in predictive text on the phones because that really is a, a source of ongoing frustration for me but this is really a step change and you know ho- however much you struggle with this new tech this is really worth a look it's stunning and uh, you know really really give it some challenges to come up with but i i think as a, as a tool to aid creativity it's absolutely brilliant and I've actually you know I've, I've actually added it to my shortcuts now so I can access it easily now because I'm going to be using this quite a lot and then the other tool and again I got this from Joanna Penn and I I mentioned this to my oldest child who sells artwork online digital artwork who who was very sort of um, resistant to it because of the ethical sort of moral elements of this and this is mid-journey which is an artistic it, it, it generates art for you now the barrier to entry on Mid Journey is a bit, you know, it's a bit higher because you have to access it through Discord. Now I use Discord, I use it with my kids, our family use it for our family chat. You know, so I'm constantly chatting to the kids through Discord. And it's, you know, I don't massively like it. It's not my wouldn't be my preferred tool, but you know, frankly, it's one of these things that you either have to embrace or you or you'll get passed by. And and all the cool stuff comes through Discord now. And to access MidJourney, You have to go through a Discord account. A Discord's like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, those of us who are a bit longer in the tooth, Microsoft Chat, that's what I started using years ago. Years and years ago, I used to fix my dad's computer through MSN Chat, you know, even before the days of broadband, I used to use that. Then we kind of migrated to Skype. And then, you know, I chit-chat through Twitter, through Facebook. I don't like WhatsApp because I don't like anybody having any access to my mobile phone directly through the number. So I tend not to use WhatsApp for that precise reason but we had to use it in spain because all the businesses use whatsapp in spain but discord is great you know it's the way i can chat to my kids it's the the best if i want to raise my kids straight away and get a response that's how i do it on discord so that's why i use discord at the moment but yeah Mid, mid journey is amazing so i've got it on my discord channel now and the quality of the artwork that it produces is absolutely stunning it's absolutely stunning and I'm just scrolling through it now as I'm talking to you, I mean, you know, the, the artwork, the the sci-fi fantasy-related artwork that people have generated on there, and you can see the words, the prompt words that they've used to get that kind of artwork. It's it's just, it's stunning. It's incredible quality artwork. Now, I I sent this to my oldest and said, you've got to have a try of this. This is just brilliant. I've never seen, you know, never seen anything like it, and the artwork would just inspire you. You know, I'm looking at the artwork there that other people have produced thinking... You know if you wanted story ideas or you wanted to get into the zone it, it's just it's incredible artwork but my oldest said to me you know a lot of these ai tools they're you know scanning other artists work and they're using that and i said well yes but you see if i went to an art gallery and i looked at an artist and 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 that inspired me then to go and, and do some in, in real life art i said how's that different from an ai looking at art in the real world and then taking inspiration from that it's not copying it it's taking inspiration from that so as long as it's inspired by that that's okay if it's stealing it then no I've you know I'm not interested in that now I know there are all sorts of ethical issues around this stuff and I know that Joanna Penn has used mid-journey so I'm kind of without me having done any deep research on this I'm kind of trusting that I know Joanna Penn's really big on ethical stuff so I'm kind of assuming she's done the ethical work for me with this but you you I know there's all sorts of issues with it. I really, I'm not. I don't want to get into the issues here. I just want to say to you, please have a try because it's amazing, and then you can form your own view ethically from that. I'm not going to steer you on that at all, but it's incredible. And the artwork that I'm looking at there, you could lift and take that as a book cover, as a fantasy book cover. It's it's absolutely amazing. So my my way always is with this, where you know, even if there are ethical issues involved, my personal strategy strategy is I don't want to get left behind. I want to know what's going on and then I'll form a view of it as far as ethics are concerned. The Alliance of Independent Authors has guidance on ethics with AI which I've looked at and will subscribe to as an author and as AI gets better obviously you know I I will form a view of what I think of it ethically but I, I want to mention this chat and this PseudoWrite, this OpenAI and uh, not PseudoWrite, Mid MidJourney. I want to recommend those to you because they're stunning, and you know you kind of need to see them to believe them, to see the way the world is going with this stuff, and then you you know form a view of it. That's fine. I mentioned PseudoWrite there too. Um, PseudoWrite, I don't think is as good as MidJourney. I think MidJourney is the one I'd urge you to look at, but PseudoWrite.com is another one that you could look at if you want to look at kind of art generation, but it, it, it's it's stunning. and and, and please look at it you know don't bury your head in the sand please be open-minded to it even though you might want to use it please at least remain open-minded to it, because if you don't the world kind of passes you by and you soon find yourself obsolete in terms of your knowledge your skills that's why I want to sort of keep on top of this stuff so last thing I want to mention to you is GA4 Google Analytics 4 if you're if you've got a website and you've got Google Analytics embedded in your website, this is all going to change, and we're moving into a new age of analytics. And this is all to do with you know privacy. It's all connected with things like uh, you know Apple, you know blocking tracking and things like that. We're, we're moving into a new phase. You know whether you like it or not, we're moving into a new phase with this stuff and with privacy. And this is why I've mentioned a lot of the tools that I have mentioned today, because I want to. I want to be on top of this stuff and ahead of it not not behind and, and you know running behind to catch up so just to let you know that if you have Google Analytics embedded in your site, the system is changing and the, the change is going to be forced o- upon you. So be aware of, they call it J4, Google Analytics 4. It's just a new version of Google Analytics. It's going to be very different from what we know as Google Analytics. A lot more complex, I'm afraid. I haven't done it yet. It, I've, I just learned about it the other day. I listened to a podcast where I get my kind of geeky stuff from. I'll put the The link on the show notes because I'm just as I'm talking to you here scrolling through my phone trying to see if I oh it's the digital marketing podcast that's what it is it's called the digital marketing podcast that's what I listen to to get all my information about this stuff and they did an episode on GA4 the other day I don't like the sound of it it sounds you know complicated but I can't bury my head in the sand it's coming our way if we've got websites so at the moment just be aware of it it's coming and keep a lookout for web articles and things like that to give you guidance on GA4. Okay, I know that was a little bit geeky at the end, but uh, hopefully a lot of that's of interest or useful for you. That is it for this week's show. I've now completed... What was supposed to be two episodes it turned out to be three episodes of me sharing lots of resources and i said at the beginning you know these these are just things i'm looking at there's other things out there i do it just to share information and stuff that i love with you take it or leave it you know some things you'll like some things you'll hate they're not recommendations as such it's really just a glimpse and insight into what i'm using and what i'm finding um, success with don't forget That I'm resuming the regular show for 25 episodes and that's going to go for 25 weeks through this year taking us through to june july sometime where I will be sharing the writing that I'm doing and all the usual stuff about marketing learning all the usual stuff that I used to share I'll be sharing that with you for another season. So make sure you've got me in your feed and I'll be sharing all the usual information with you in this new year of 2023. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great week of writing from me as ever. Paul Teague. Bye-bye for now.